As we come to Mark chapter 5 this morning, we're going to start in verse 21. Jesus has just crossed over the Sea of Galilee again. In the first part of Mark chapter 5, we saw how Jesus was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, mainly in the Gentile region of the area, and how he had met a man who was severely demon-possessed. And Jesus, with all wisdom, with all power, delivered the man from that demonic possession. But now he had to come back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he came back to huge crowds. One of the important dynamics in the ministry of Jesus at this time was that there were huge crowds following him and pressing in upon him. It wasn't just hundreds of people. These were thousands of people who were attracted to the teaching and to the miraculous ministry of Jesus. They wanted to hear what he said. They wanted to see him touch other people with his miraculous power, but they also, many of them, wanted to be touched by that miraculous power. So we find in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Well, in verse 21, you see just what I was speaking about, about this dynamic of great crowds flocking to Jesus and crowding around him and pressing in upon him. You can understand that as his boat came close to the place where it was going to dock at that little village on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, that people would see it coming and they would know that it was the boat Jesus often traveled on. And the news would go out through the village, Jesus is coming. And so people would come and they would come and they'd meet him at the seaside right there. Just when he stepped off the boat, there would be hundreds of people gathered already and hundreds more on the way. And the crowd soon began to press down upon him. Now, if the great crowds of people was one of the dynamics of the ministry of Jesus at this time in the Gospel of Mark, there was another very important dynamic. And that was the simple fact that Jesus was a wanted man. At this point in his ministry, the the political leaders and the religious leaders had unified together to make Jesus a wanted man. They, They wanted to get him. They wanted to kill him. They were plotting his destruction. So the religious establishment was set against Jesus. That's what surprises us when we read what we read in verse 22 about a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, coming to Jesus and falling down at his feet. This man, being a ruler of the synagogue, was part of the religious establishment. He should have been against Jesus, not for him. He should have been looking at a way to criticize Jesus, but he doesn't. He comes, and everybody would have known who he was. He was a prominent man, an important man in the community. And as he makes his way through the crowd and and breaks out and runs towards Jesus, Jesus doesn't have any security around him. He doesn't have any of those secret service type guys with the little thing in their ear and the little cord down there and they're talking to their uh, cuff link and all that business. No. The man runs and he comes down before Jesus and he falls down at his feet and the crowd would have been amazed. Here's a man from the religious establishment. They knew who he was by his face, by the way that he dressed. And there's an important man, and he comes in total humility, falling down at the feet of Jesus. But he had a good reason. Look at verse 23. And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and she will live. 
This isn't just a desperate request because, as we know from other gospel accounts, this little girl that was sick was the only daughter of Jairus and his wife. His only daughter lays sick, but she's at the point of death. And this makes it an urgent request. That's why he ran. There's no mention of the mother here in verse 23. You know where the mother was. The mother was where mothers always are in this kind of situation. She was at home by the bedside of the little girl, mopping her fevered brow and taking care of her and trying to calm her down. Perhaps when the convulsions came upon the little girl and she she was there ministering to the poor little girl the best she could. But then in the household, they hear Jesus is coming. They saw his boat coming near. And the father says, I know what I'll do. Look, I'm part of the religious establishment. Jesus isn't supposed to be my friend, but I need something from this man. I'm going to come and I'm going to ask him as humbly as I can. So he breaks through the crowd and he comes and he bows down at the feet of Jesus. And look at it there in verse 20. He begged him earnestly. Probably through his tears, he calls out to Jesus with all the emotion in his heart. "My, My daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. That's quite a statement of faith there, isn't it? She says, you come, you lay your hands on her, and I know she'll be healed, Jesus. Of course, it's wonderful faith. It's not quite the same faith that the centurion had. If you remember in another account in one of the Gospels, a centurion came to Jesus and was very distressed because the centurion's servant was ill and needed to be healed. And the centurion came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. You just say the word where you're at, and I know he'll be healed. It wasn't the case with Jairus. Jairus didn't have the faith of the centurion, but he brought whatever faith he had to Jesus. Might I say, I think that's an important point. You may feel this morning that you don't have very much faith to bring to Jesus. You may look at your own heart and sort of the, the thermometer of faith in your heart, and there's not very much there. But I'll tell you this, you just bring whatever faith you have to Jesus, and he'll bless it. And so this is what Jarius did. And he said, you, you come to my house, lay your hands on her, that she'll be healed and she will leave and live, I should say. In verse 24, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. You can see the scene, don't you? The people are really excited now. They're going to see a miracle. And Jesus goes with the note of determination in his step and he's walking through and the crowd is pressing around him. They're all close and the crowd sort of makes its way down the street. It's sort of a mob all moving together. And, and, and Jairus is so happy. He's so pleased that Jesus is going to come and heal his daughter and not a moment too soon because the clock is ticking away and, and his daughter is near death. Then something happens, right? Verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments, for she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Isn't that remarkable? Here Jesus is in the midst of the crowd, moving his way down the street. And nobody knows this. And nobody can see this. They don't notice, but there's a woman there who has great needs. You see how her need is described? She had a flow of blood for 12 years. 12 years she had some kind of hemorrhage, a bleeding that wouldn't stop. And it made her be in a desperate condition. You see, according to the book of Leviticus, and in that Jewish culture... 
Such a flow of blood like this in this poor woman who suffered under it for 12 years, it would make her ceremonially unclean. And it was an uncleanness that would not allow this woman to take any part in Israel's worship. But it went beyond that. Her uncleanness was thought to be contagious. So any person she touched became unclean. Anything she sat upon became unclean. Any dish or cup that she used became unclean. This meant that this woman would be isolated from society. In all likelihood, her husband divorced her. Oh, sure, he stuck with it for a number of months, maybe even a year or two. But after a while, his wife was just in this chronic condition of unclean, unclean, and she wasn't healthy. And, and, that, and, and the custom of that day gave him every permission to divorce his wife. He probably did. She went to the doctor's. Oh, doctor, can you help me? And the doctor says, well, you know, we have a lot of things that we do. And they go back in the ancient records of that day, and there's all sorts of customs. There's all sorts of things that they did for women who suffered under these ailments. And some of them are very painful, and some of them are just disgusting to describe the kind of things that they did. And so it says with great accuracy there, verse 26, she suffered many things from many physicians. It was bad enough that she had this ailment. She went to the doctors and suffered even more. Not only that, they made her suffer physically, then, then she spent all her money. All her money on the doctors. They couldn't help her at all. And for 12 years, nobody could be your friend. For, for 12 years, nobody could give her a loving embrace. For, for 12 years, she was isolated and put out from everybody else, excommunicated from the services of the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple and be in the women's court. For 12 years, this woman lived under this burden, but then she heard Jesus was nearby, and she said, well, listen, this, this man can help me. The doctors couldn't help me. She'd been to all the doctors, and, and the doctors didn't help her at all. You know, if I could paint an analogy here, every one of us suffers under the sickness of, of sin and the sickness that afflicts our soul. And when a soul is sick today, many people go to different doctors and try to spend a great deal of time and money, and they only end up suffering many things from many physicians. Let me explain to you what I mean, sort of speaking symbolically. A, a sick soul, they may go and knock on the door of doctor entertainment. Help me, doctor. The doctor says, well, I'll write you out a prescription. And the prescription says, just flood your life with as much entertainment as you can. Keep the TV and the movies and the videos and all that. Keep it going nonstop into your life. It'll keep your mind occupied. It'll keep you busy. This is good. This will help you. You go to that physician, but you just like this woman. You'll suffer many things from many physicians, and you'll come out and know the better from it. Try another doctor. Doctor, I'll go to Dr. Success. Maybe he can help me. And Dr. Success writes out the prescription. Listen, you've got to make a lot of money. You've got to become an important person. You've got to do all this. You'll be a success. Then you'll be happy. Then the sickness in your soul will be taken away. But, you know, you give a lot to Dr. Success, and you find out he doesn't really help you, does he? There's nothing that he really has for you there. You end up worse, not better. You make your way through all the doctors. You go to Dr. Self-Help, Dr. Pleasure, Dr. Religion. None of them can bring a cure. But Dr. Jesus can. And this woman came to the right place. and She came, and even if her faith was tinged with a bit of superstition, she says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to make a point of contact with Jesus. He's the one who can heal me. And nobody has to know. My ailment is too embarrassing. I can't stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, can you heal me of my problem? Well, what's your problem, ma'am? 
It's too embarrassing. She doesn't want to be caught in that position. So what is I'll do it secretly. I'll sneak up behind him. I'll touch the hem of his garment and I will be healed. I know it. And so what happens? Verse 29. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Can you imagine how, how just relieved and how excited just the, the, the flood of feelings and, and relief going through her mind and through her body at that moment. What a remarkable thing in the life of this woman. And she thought it was over. Oh, this is fantastic. Thank you, God, she's saying. Isn't it beautiful? It's wonderful. And the crowd doesn't know anything. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that she touched her. Nobody knew that she received her healing. She goes, this is great. I snuck in. I got the healing. I wanted to sneak out. Now it's just beautiful. Thank you, God. Until Jesus messed everything up in verse 30. <laughs> and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You have the scene in your mind, don't you hear? The, the, the crowd's going down. Nobody knows that the woman touched him. We know it because we're reading the story, but everybody else just sees the crowd moving along. And Jesus says, stop! Who touched my clothes? They all thought he was crazy. <laughs> there were hundreds of people around him, all pressing in upon him. He was touching and jostling and, 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 and you know, making contact with everybody all around him. He was being mobbed. Look at it here. I love the, the, the response of the disciples, verse 31. But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? They thought they had Jesus on this one. You know, Jesus, you, you've been correcting us for a long time. But now, now we've got you. You're, you're just losing it a little bit here, Jesus. But not at all. Not one bit. It says, verse 32, that he looked around to see her who had done this thing. That indicates that Jesus knew who it was. When Jesus asked that question, who touched my clothes? He wasn't asking because he didn't know. Somebody touched him, and it says there in verse 30, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him. I wish I could explain to you what that means. I really don't know. We don't have this description of, of, of power going out of Jesus and going into somebody else in healing. Really, any other place in the Bible, this is the only bare mention of we have. We, we don't, really don't know of some noticeable surge of power going out of Jesus and into somebody else. But something like that happened. We can't really describe it. We don't really know it in detail. But it was something. It was enough where Jesus knew what happened and he, and he knew who did it. He didn't ask the question, who touched my clothes for his benefit? He asked it because he wanted the woman to come forward. Look at it again, verse 32. He looked around to see her. He knew it well, it was. He knew it was a woman. He knew it was her. To see her who had done this thing. Oh, she had already tried to hide behind a head that was in front of her so the, the eyes of Jesus wouldn't be right in front of her. But that person moved, and all of a sudden she was face to face, eye to eye with Jesus. And he's looking right at her. Look around verse 33. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I don't know about you, but when I first read that, my immediate reaction was, how embarrassing for this poor woman. 
She just came in to sort of steal a blessing really quick from Jesus and to go on her way, and now she's busted. And she comes before Jesus, and you can just hear her almost fearing and trembling. She came down, fell down before him. She's weeping. She's bowing down before Jesus. And then it says there in verse 33 that that she told him the whole truth. All of it. She starts pouring out her story. Jesus, 12 years ago, this bleeding started, and and I thought it would stop. I I thought it would end after a little while, but it didn't. It just kept on and on. And so I tried whatever I could. Nothing worked. I went to this doctor, and nothing worked. After a while, my husband left me, and then nobody would associate with me. And she goes down, and she tells the whole truth about everything. You know what? Nothing. Nothing worked. Then she says, I thought I could just sneak in and, and, and touch the hem of your garment. And I knew that would heal. I knew just coming in contact with you, Jesus, would heal me. And I was healed. And I, I look at this and I read it and I say, why are you doing this, Jesus? Why are you embarrassing this woman so much? Well, friends, he knew who she was. And she knew who she was. It might seem to us that Jesus' only purpose was to embarrass this poor woman before the other people, but it wasn't his purpose at all. Now, I'll admit, it was embarrassing for her. She was embarrassed by this, but that wasn't the purpose of Jesus. Jesus did it for many reasons. Let me give you four or five. First of all, Jesus did it so that she would know that she was healed. Now, it's true that at the very moment that she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, that she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. But friends, you know that this woman was just like any other person. She would soon begin to doubt whether or not she was really healed. She would wonder when the ailment would return. And so when Jesus turns, and take a look at what he says here in verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I mean, when she heard that, it was, I know that I'm healed. He called her out, so to speak, so that she would absolutely know for certain that she was healed. But there's another reason as well. I think Jesus did this so that the others would know that she was healed. Let's remember, this woman had an ailment that was private in nature. No one else could see it, yet it made her a public outcast. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if someone in this woman's shoes would just one day come forward and say, well, you know, I'm all healed. And she wasn't. But she was tired of the social outcast status. And she said, well, I'm healed. And I'm, well, yeah, sure, are you really healed? But now everybody knew. Everybody heard Jesus say, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Jesus called her out so others would absolutely know that she was healed. We give you a third reason. Jesus did it so that she would know why she was healed. Jesus wanted to make it very clear to the woman and very clear to us that it wasn't touching the hem of Jesus' garment that healed her. No, it was her faith. Now, her faith prompted her to do that. But friend, it was her faith that did it. That's why Jesus said in verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. It showed very plainly that it wasn't really touching the garment. It was trusting in Jesus. It was her faith in Jesus and in what he could do for her. That's what made her well. I think next, Jesus did it because he didn't want her to think that she stole a blessing and could never look Jesus in the eye again. Oh, could you imagine this woman hiding from Jesus the rest of her days? Jesus coming down the street, oh, I don't want him to know me. 
I'm the guy who stole, I'm the woman who stole a blessing from him. I, I, don't, I don't want to be identified, no. You see, what Jesus did was establish something very precious between him and the woman. Perhaps the greatest reason is found in one of the first few words of, of verse 34, where it says, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Do you understand that this is the only woman in the entire New Testament that Jesus calls daughter? The only one that he ever looked in the eye and said, daughter, your faith has made you well. That tender title of affection, she would have never heard it unless she suffered the embarrassment and went forward and said, okay, Jesus, let me tell you the whole story. Friends, Jesus wanted her to come forth and hear this special name of tenderness. And when Jesus calls us forward, it's because he has something special to give to us. Friends, let me be very straight with you. There are times that as you follow Jesus Christ, he's going to call you to do something that's embarrassing. Now, he doesn't call you to do it because he wants to embarrass you. It's not like God's running some candid camera operation in heaven and he puts people in embarrassing and humiliating situations just so he can see them squirm. No, but but there are times when God will require us to do something and it's embarrassing to us, but we must follow through and do it because there's a greater blessing for us in doing it than if we were to hold back. And if this woman would have never come forward, never come forward when Jesus called her out, she would have never known for sure that she was healed. Others wouldn't have known. She wouldn't have known why she was healed. She wouldn't have been comfortable in the presence of Jesus again. And she would have never heard those blessed words, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now Jesus is more than just the man who healed her. Now he's her friend. Because she was willing to suffer embarrassment. Friends, let me say again. Jesus may ask us to do things that seem embarrassing. But he does not ask them of us just because he wants to embarrass us. There's a higher purpose to it even if we can't see it. But friends, if avoiding embarrassment is the most important thing in our life, then pride is our God. If we are more in love with ourselves and our self-image, so where the last thing I'm going to do is we will not be embarrassed for Jesus Christ, then self-image, then, then our own love for ourselves that's, that's above our love for Jesus. So you take the person who knows God is moving upon their heart and calling them up to come up for prayer or to... to to receive some kind of ministry from somebody else, and they just won't do it because they're so embarrassed to let somebody else know that they have a need for prayer. Friends, Jesus, Jesus wants to work in your heart and overcome that fear of embarrassment you have for his sake. You have the person, there they are at the office or at the work scene, and all the jokes are being made about Christians, and and somebody asks, well, you're, you're you're not one of those followers of Jesus, are you? They're so embarrassed to come out for Jesus and and they they make a funny remark instead, instead of coming out and out for Jesus Christ. Friends, be careful. Are you more in love with your self-image? Are you more in love with yourself than you are with Jesus Christ? And please, you're missing out on a blessing. If you'll come out and out for Jesus, he has a way to bless you. You'll hear him say something tender to you like, like, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Friends, it's a beautiful thing when we can come out and out for Jesus Christ. I also can't help but be struck by the fact that it says there in verse 33, 
that she came down and, and told him the whole truth. The whole truth. You know, when we come to Jesus, we must come and tell him the whole truth. Why do we hide anything from Jesus? It's really foolish, isn't it? He knows us better than we know ourselves. So tell him the whole truth. We must tell him the whole truth, for example, about our sin. You come to Jesus as the great physician. And just like any doctor, he looks at you and says, well, what seems to be the problem? And so tell him, don't leave anything out. There you are, you go to the doctor and you, you have this huge ringing in your ears and it really bothers you. And you also have a, a, a hangnail on your big toe. You go to the doctor, well, what seems to be bothering you? Well, you know, I've got this hangnail on the big toe. And you just kind of forget to mention to him the part about the big ringing in your ears. Friends, you've got to tell him the whole truth, just like the woman did. Don't leave anything out. When's the last time you had a real heart-to-heart Pour out your heart before God and confess your sin session with Jesus. Where you just laid it all out. Everything you knew that you had sinned, you just laid it out before him. You said, Jesus, this is where I am sick. This is my problem. I'm tired of blaming everybody else in my life. My sin is the problem. Dr. Jesus, here's my sin. Can't you do something with it? Then again, I think we need to tell him the whole truth about our suffering. The woman did that too. I'm sure she didn't just tell Jesus about her medical problems. She talked about the suffering that had caused her in her life. And we need to tell Jesus where it hurts. The doctor wants to know from her, well, where does it hurt? So tell him. Jesus, I feel so terrible because of the, this person rejected or this person burned me. Or I feel so terrible to what I did to them. And I hurt so bad because I'm lonely. Tell Jesus. Tell him where it hurts then we should come to Jesus and tell him the whole truth about the other doctors, the other cures that we've tried. <laughs> you know, Lord, I went to Dr. Entertainment and he didn't help me and Dr. Success and, and Dr. Self-Help and all, they didn't help me at all, Jesus. Can't you help me? And finally, once you tell Jesus the whole truth about your hopes, you know, the woman said, and I hoped, I hoped so much to be healed of this and I was Jesus and, and Jesus wants to know from you what your hopes are, what you want him to do and in your life. So the woman was healed, remarkably so. Now before we move on to the, to the next verse, verse 35, I need to make one other mention here. All these people were around Jesus, weren't they? I mean, hundreds of people bumping into him. Yet this woman touched him and received something from Jesus that none of the other ones did. I mean, I just imagine in my mind a man next to Jesus. I mean, Jesus side by side there, and, and there he is. He's, he's there with Jesus. You know, he's, he's, he's slap him on the back. Jesus, you're a great guy. Go, go heal Jairus' daughter. You get him, Jesus. You're the man. Go get it. You know, and other people bump into him and jostle with him, and all the way down the street there, and one of the men, the man who slapped Jesus on the back and, and encouraged him, that man had a big toothache. Well, he touched Jesus. Nothing happened. Well, how does that work? This woman touches Jesus, gets healed. This man touches Jesus and nothing happened. Friends, don't you understand that there's a huge difference between casual contact with Jesus and reaching out to touch him in faith? I mean, probably scores of people pressed up against Jesus, bumped into him, but it isn't the same thing to bump into Jesus as it is to reach out in faith and touch him. And I need to say that because one of my great fears is that some of you or, or some of our children may come to church week after week and they bump into Jesus. 
Jesus is there. They make some contact with him. Oh yeah, Jesus, and it's like they're jostling with him on the street. But friends, they don't reach out in faith and touch Jesus. And there's a difference, isn't there? Contact with Jesus, bumping into him, so to speak, that's not going to bring healing and salvation into your life. But when you reach out in faith to touch him, it'll make all the difference. Charles Spurgeon said, it's not every contact with Christ that saves men. It is the arousing of yourself to come near him. The determined, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ which saves. Friends, maybe that's been your difficulty. You you, you think you go to church and you you trust it'll help you and bless you? I hope that it has, but you've just been blessed by bumping into Jesus. How much greater it'll be when you reach out in faith and grab hold of him. That's what this woman did. Now, for all the reasons we spoke about, Jesus called this woman forward, but I would like to add one more reason. For the sake of Jairus. Because we've sort of forgotten about him, haven't we? I mean, this is where this whole procession was moving until Jesus stopped it and said, wait, who was it who touched me? And Jesus took however amount of time it was to discuss this woman's situation. You know, it says that she told him the whole truth. She might have gone on and on for a half an hour. Who knows? But all the time, Jairus is looking down, well, like his sundial or whatever he was looking at, and he was thinking, well, the... The time's moving on here, Jesus. Jesus, tick-tock, mister, my, my daughter's at the point of death. Yes, it's fine about this woman, but Jesus, this woman's had her problem for 12 years. What's another day or two going to matter? My daughter is at the point of death, Jesus. Come on, I'm the ruler of the synagogue, Jesus. Let's, let's go. Let, let, let's get this finished. Come on, Jesus. Until the scene's interrupted in verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher in her further? And you wonder if there's not some some biting irony or sarcasm in it. Why trouble him any further? You know, if he would have been prompt about it and come on time, maybe your daughter would have had a chance. You told him to come quickly, but he didn't. He stalled along the way and met the needs of this woman who, well, she could have waited, frankly, but my daughter couldn't wait. Look at what Jesus says in response. Verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Friends, the heart of Jairus sank when he heard the news that his daughter was dead. He knew that Jesus took too long, but now Jesus looks him in the eye. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. That's two things to do, right? First, you stop being afraid. It almost sounds cruel for Jesus to say that to a man who just lost his daughter. But Jesus knew that fear and faith, they don't go together. Before Jairus could really trust Jesus, he had to decide to put away fear. So put it away. Don't be afraid, Jairus. And then he says, only believe. I like that word. It really spoke to me. Only believe. Sometimes I'll believe, but I don't want to only believe. I want to believe and be afraid at the same time. I want to believe and and figure it out. I want to believe and make sense of why Jesus is delaying. And Jesus says, no, only believe. That's it. Just believe. Okay, so he does in verse 37. and, And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Many people regard Peter, James, and John as sort of the inner circle of Jesus. I heard something interesting uh, by Gail Irwin a while back, and I I think it might have some validity to it. 
he suggested that perhaps Peter, James, and John weren't the special favorites of Jesus. Maybe it was a situation that he felt he had to keep a closer eye on them than anybody else. You know, it's like with the group of kids, and you know the three troublemakers. You say, okay, you guys are fine. You play. You three, you come with me. I have made it very well been like that, friends. Verse 38, then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult of those who wept and wailed loudly. And he came in and he said to him, why make this commotion weep? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. Friends, Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue and did what was customary in that day. He hired professional mourners. And they came in and they played music and they'd weep loudly and they'd tear their clothes. And it was meant to show the devotion and the love and all of this at the situation. But the problem with professional mourners is their heart isn't really in it. So here they are, they're crying one minute and the next minute they're laughing at Jesus. It says they laughed him to scorn. By the way, in verse 40 where it says, and they laughed him to scorn, or they ridiculed him. More literally, it says that they kept on ridiculing him. They kept it up. So what did Jesus do? Verse 40, but when he had put them all out, he said, get out of here. You don't belong in this house. You're not not here contributing to the work of God. Get out of here. Jesus put them all out. Verse 40, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. He didn't have to do this. He could have spoken a word from the Sea of Galilee, and the girl would have risen from the dead. But Jesus, in his tenderness, he meets Jairus where he's at. Jairus didn't have perfect faith, but he had faith, and so he met him where he was at, and he wanted to minister to the little girl's needs too. So he goes and he sits beside her, and he takes his hand, and he strokes her hand, that loving touch of Jesus, the same touch that just healed that woman with the flow of blood, and he touches the little girl's hand. He says, little girl, arise. Now, can you tell me what good it is to talk to a dead person? For you and I, it doesn't do any good, but the Bible says that God, God can speak to things which are not as if they are. And Jesus called life into the girl. Verse 42. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. Yeah, don't, don't forget to feed her, Jesus says. I know you're excited, but she's probably hungry. Why don't you give her something to eat as well? Friends, isn't that beautiful? You see the tears streaming down the face, especially of Jairus. He thought Jesus waited too long. He thought Jesus blew it. You ever been in that place? She waited too long. I've got this figured out, Jesus, and you've got to meet this need by this time. And now it's past, Jesus. You can't do anymore. I'm sorry, it's gone. Nice try, Jesus. I'm glad you really wanted to, but it's too late. No. Too late is not words in the vocabulary of the timing of God can be in the timing of our response to him, but not in the vocabulary of the timing of God. No such thing is too late. And Jesus raised this little girl up. Remarkable that we have two miracles standing side by side here, right? You have the healing of Jairus' daughter, and you have the, the beautiful healing of the woman with the issue of blood. But in it, we see how the work of God is different, yet the same among every individual. Jesus loves to touch needs 
personally, individually. Jesus knows that you and your needs are at least a little bit different than anybody else's. Oh, they may be the same type of the same class, but yet you're different and he loves you as a person, as an individual. So while Jairus, he had 12 years of sunshine, they were about to be extinguished. The woman had 12 years of agony that seemed hopeless to heal. Jairus, he was an important man. He was the ruler of the synagogue. The, The woman... She was a nobody. We don't even know her name. Jairus was probably wealthy. After all, he was a very important man. The woman, she was utterly poor because she spent all of her money on doctors. Jairus, he came publicly, falling down in front of everybody. Jesus, help my daughter. The woman, she came secretly. She didn't want to be known. Jairus thought that Jesus had to be there and do a lot to heal his daughter. The woman, she said, Jesus doesn't need to do anything. I'll just need to touch him and I'll be healed. Jesus responded to the woman immediately. The moment she touched the hem of his garment, she was healed. Jesus responded to Jairus after a delay. And Jairus' daughter was healed secretly. He put everybody else out, but the woman was healed publicly. It's hard to figure out. I thought you would have done it one way that, you know, the woman had the embarrassing condition, Jesus. Why not heal her privately? And why not get the good publicity about raising the daughter from the dead? Do that publicly. Just says, no, you don't understand my ways. I know what I'm doing here. And he knows what he's doing in your life. Might I say that the thing that I really especially like about this, Jairus was the important man, right? He was the man of status and influence. Jesus made him wait, and he ministered to the humble woman immediately. So if you want to get your meat met by Jesus, come to him as humbly as possible. I'm not promising there will be no delays, because he knows his timing. My friends, come to him as humbly as possible. It moves you up in line, from what I understand. <laughs> Most of all, I want to encourage anybody here today. Is embarrassment keeping you back? Some people are so burdened by that that they just won't come and do what Jesus calls them to do. You know, Jesus wants to set you free from that. And his purpose is not to embarrass you. That's not his purpose. It's just that that's something you have to go through to get the blessing. Do you want to hear the tender words of Jesus giving you a special name and a special promise of healing and blessing in your life? Then then be willing to do what he says, even if it embarrasses you. He'll, He'll lift you up in a high place. Let's pray together now and ask that God gives us that kind of heart. Father, I pray that you'd give us the heart of Jairus that could trust you and believe you even when it seemed to be too late. Give us the heart and the faith of this woman, Lord, who who was willing to be embarrassed to do what Jesus told her to do. But Lord God, most of all, we pray that you would transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we need his salvation in our life. We reach out to Jesus this morning, Lord, and touch him. And Lord, even though we are unclean, we know that we won't make him unclean, but rather he'll make us clean. Help us all, Lord, to reach out to Jesus and to lay hold of him with the touch of faith this morning. We pray this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.